Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Man, it's so good to have you guys with us today. I want to welcome everybody joining uh, via church online today, too. Thanks for being here. Um, if you've just joined us and maybe you're new with us, we're in a series called The Dark Side. And, you know, uh, there's a book that I read several years ago that impacted my life. And I thought, man, I give it to some staff and impacted their life. I give it to pastors and impacted their life. I said, I need to do a series on this and unpack what God's been doing in my soul uh, and then feed you guys with it. So that's how we got to this series here. And what we're doing is we're looking at how each one of us have a different dark side. And really all of us have some form of these dark sides. You know, week one was control with Moses. Remember, Moses had serious anger issues and he blew up all the time because he had control issues. Uh, week two, last week we looked at Solomon. And Solomon was one of the greatest narcissists ever. It was all about being better than his dad, David. And we talked about that. And today I want to talk to you about a guy that you've probably heard a lot about, and even if you've not been in church, a guy named Samson. If you will turn in your copy of God's Word to Judges 16, Judges 16, verse 15. Well, before our son was born, my wife and I loved to go visit, uh, like, different restaurants all the time. We ate out all the time. And one of the places on Saturday mornings was Millie's uh, Diner there in the city in Churchill. And we used to enjoy going there. We'd get there early, so they'd have to wait in line. Uh, and it has the best omelets in all of Richmond, like the best. I'm telling you, that place is awesome. If you haven't been, you're missing out. Just go on Saturday, not Sunday, because it will not taste as good on Sundays. Because <laughs> you'll miss church, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Slow, slow learners, right? Slow learners. Uh, so we would go there, and my favorite omelet there was called Castro's Mess. Because it was like, you know, pork, and it was uh, eggs, and black beans, and guacamole, and cheese, and sriracha. Are you getting hungry yet? All right, just hang on. We got sliders afterwards. But, but so I loved it. That's all I ever got. And one day, I'm sitting there waiting for my food, and what comes back is not Castro's mess, but they bring back another omelet called Cajun mess. Now, first of all, I just want to clear something with all of you, all of you. Bordeaux is not Cajun. My last name is not Cajun. It is French. My ancestors never ended up in Louisiana. So don't do me like that. I, and, and the reason I say that is I don't like Cajun food at all. Like, I just do not like it. I've, I've had some of, the, some of the best, my wife would call it. I don't like it. Don't like the Creole. I don't like any of it. My wife loves it. So I would never order that. And they bring the Cajun mess there, and, and I say, hey, ma'am, I didn't order that. Well, yes, you did. That's what I wrote down. I was like... Nah, I didn't order that. I, I, as a matter of fact, I would never order this because I really dislike Cajun food altogether. I would have never ordered that. Even by accident, I wouldn't have. And she just argued with me. My wife even chimes in, and she's like, hey, you know, my wife, you know, waited tables during college. She understands the plight. And she's like, hey, actually, you know, he didn't order that. And she's just, this lady is just angry. What do you want me to do then? And she takes the food away and snatches it, just walks off. And then finally a manager comes back, and the manager clears everything up. And he says, well, look, not only will we give you your Castro's mess, but, but the bill's on us. And the manager had to come and clear the air. And the lady, she wasn't the best waitress from that point forward with us while we were there that day. Let me just say that, right? Uh, your coffee got cold, and you got very little of it. But we still tipped her greatly. You know why? Because we're Christ followers, and Christ followers tip well. Three all like, yeah, we sure do. So um, yeah, that's what we do. We, we, we bless those who persecute us. That's why I got persecuted, right? Christian persecution in America. That's what happened to me. She did that on purpose. But the manager came out. And I'm joking. The manager came out and cleared everything up, made it right. And the manager knew something that the waitress didn't know. He knew the right person to please. 
Because he didn't side with the waitress and say, oh, I know how you feel. Let's just, just let them eat it. Who cares? He knew that the right person to please was the customer, right? There's some places that say the customer's always right. And that's what good managers and good waitresses and good companies know. They know how to please the right person. Now, why, why do I tell you this story? It's because today I want to talk, talk to you about people pleasing. Many times we're just like the waitress. We don't understand who the right person is to please. And we don't understand the problems we have with people pleasing. Our, our person to please is an audience of one, and that's Jesus. But so many times in our life, we get wrapped up. Amen. We get wrapped up, though, in pleasing the wrong people. And some of us in here have an addiction to pleasing people. Like, like, like you're, just, you're just so concerned what everybody thinks about you all the time. And there, there's a, there's a you know, psychological term for that called codependency. And someone who's codependent, each week we're looking at a different personality you know, disorder or trait that we deal with. A codependent person is obsessed with pleasing people. They're obsessed with having needy people in their life who need them all the time. They'll often take the role of caretakers all the time. They'll, they'll, they'll leave one abusive relationship and jump into another one. And they're constantly finding their identity in other people instead of even in what they do or even in Christ. And who we're looking at today is Samson. And at first glance, you think Samson has it all together. You think, man, he was the strongest man in Israel. He was a judge of Israel. He had a, but Samson had codependency issues. One of the things you, you know about Samson is this, is that back in that day and time, that's before the first king of Israel came about. So uh, Saul had not come yet. Israel didn't have a king. God would raise up and anoint these people called judges. They were like the Rambos. Like, you know, just, just put Rambo in there. If you know who Rambo is, if you don't, I've really dated myself. Um, you know, uh, The Rock, Vin Diesel, for some of you guys that are younger, right? I'm trying to, oh, it's Rambo in my day, right? So, like, that's what he did. He just mowed down the enemies. He'd walk in there and, you know, Rambo had unlimited ammunition. That's just what he did. Uh, well, that's what Samson was. God anointed him at birth, but he said, here's the deal. I need you to take a Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow was that you don't, you don't cut your hair. You don't go around eating food from animals you find that are dead, which I think is self-explanatory. Like, do we need rules about that? Like, stop, little Billy. Don't eat the dead bird. You know, like, like but that was one of them. Um, don't, don't drink wine, right? Like, don't drink any, any fermented alcohol. He's a Nazarite. And then one of the rules of the Israelites was don't marry other nations. Why? Because the Israelites were trying to get Jesus, the seed of Jesus, from Adam and Eve all the way through to Mary. And if the Israelites intermarried and got wiped out, guess what? There was no Jesus. So along that way, there were enemies to the Israelites that rose up. If you're always asking about the Old Testament, why did God allow killing in the Old Testament? I don't agree. Well, here's the problem, y'all. You better be glad that God did it. If, if, if the Israelites were wiped out, there is no Jesus. There is no salvation. And Satan knew that from years and years and years past. And so what, what was his plan? To raise up the Canaanites and the Philistines and the, the Hittites and all the eyes to come to destroy. So God had to raise up people like Samson who'd say, you know what? That's not going to happen here. We're, keep, we're keeping Israel on track. That's what we're doing. And so Samson was raised up to destroy the Philistines. Now that sounds good and great, but Samson had some issues. Codependent people usually grow up in a very strict household with very strict rules. Samson had very strict rules. Codependent people sometimes have high expectations. Do you think Samson had high expectations from birth? Like as a child, hey, hey, hey dude, we're raising you to destroy an army by yourself. Like you're going to lead a nation. That's pretty high expectations, right? And so the list is on and on. And Samson played by the rules. He pleased his parents. He even pleased God. He didn't cut his hair. He did all the right things. And then we watch Samson unravel. 
Like, like he completely just unravels. Like he begins to do everything God said don't do. He finds a dead lion. He's eating honey out of the lion because bees have got a— this is gross. Like you know he's self-destructing if you're doing that. If you find somebody eating a dead animal on the side of the road, you've got issues. But then, like, pride kicked in, and he was, like, you know, trying to you know, get riddles for, for, for the Philistines. He's dealing with this. And he just goes on and on. And then he keeps going and finding the wrong women everywhere he went. The Scripture says he went down to Timnah, which Timnah was a place outside of his jurisdiction, and he met a woman down there. And then it goes on and on, and then finally he meets this lady, you all know her name, Delilah. Um, we, we had a friend that was going to name their baby Delilah until they just started thinking about the story. They said, I think I'm not going to name my child that. I said, no, 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 you get it. It's a pretty beautiful name. I don't know. Uh, but Delilah comes in the picture, and he always keeps finding bad relationships. And he always finds this need to please and please. And so Delilah's really upset. She wants to find out what makes you so strong. You know, people who don't know us want to find out what makes you so joyful. It's always Jesus, Right? Back then, it was, it was his covenant, amen. It was, and they're looking in, and she's saying, I don't understand why you're so strong. Like none of the Philistine warriors, what makes you you? And he knew that he had a Nazarite vow. He had a covenant he had made with God, and God had made with him, and a calling. And so she wanted to find it out. Why? Because she wanted to destroy him. And he is so sick, realize this, he's so wrapped up in codependency that he's willing to enter into a relationship with someone who wants to destroy him. This is like Jerry Springer in the Old Testament, right? I hate you. I hate you. I, I love you. I hate you. Like they're just, and so he engages in this relationship. He's going at it. And she finally breaks him. Look at Judges 16, verse 15, when this happens. It says, then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? She's getting them. You've made fun of me three times now. Remember he'd tell her it was something? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's this. And she'd go, they'd, they'd tie him up, and he'd break out. And each time he broke out, and she said, you made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. <laughs> Women, there's a principle here. <laughs> Torment your spouse with, 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 with nagging, and you eventually get what you want. Some, of you, some women have the spiritual gift of nagging. Husbands don't say amen. Just say, not my wife, not here, not today, Satan. So finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. So what happens? She ties him up, she cuts his hair, and then he's captured by the Philistines because he wanted to please her. He didn't want her to be unhappy. He didn't want her to pout. And today I want to talk to you about this because many of us struggle with the same thing. Uh, some of you in here struggle with codependency issues. I don't know how serious it is for you, but I know that in America it's something that many people struggle with. And I want to help you with that today. And so first of all, I want you to write this down because here's today's big idea. Here's the key point I want you to take away is this. The need to please people leads to an unpleasurable life. The need to please people leads to an unpleasurable life. Because you're always trying to please people, right? And, and listen, it's a moving target. You, you can never make everyone happy. And some people you'll never make happy. They're just those people. Correct? Amen? Now, some of you in here, let me just say a disclaimer. You're thinking, I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks. I ain't going to make nobody happy. Here's the deal. 
I preached on narcissism last week and being a jerk. Go back and listen to that message from last week, right? That was for, you came the wrong week, right? Like, but so for many of us in here, we find our identity in other people. We have to have needy people around us. If they don't need us, we need to be caretakers. And inwardly, if you keep living that over and over, you're going to continually find out that you're just, you find life unpleasurable. You'll find out that you're, you yourself aren't happy, trying to make everybody else happy. And that's what codependency is. See, a codependent person, each week we talk about like the why behind somebody, why somebody doesn't remember Moses. He lost control at, you know, when he was born and he had to be sitting down a river, didn't have his parents. And he said, I'll never be out of control again. Um, you got to understand why people do what they do. A codependent person probably grew up in a home where they had a, an uh, alcoholic or abusive parent. Or they had a sibling uh, or maybe it was disabled or, or, you know, went, went through serious situations, or they were always caring for someone. Maybe strict rules, regulations, and finally they just like self-sabotaged everything and went for it. But you understand why that forms in them at an early stage in life. And that's why I bring you back to the Bible and show you that, that the, the biblical people that we look at, guys, if you think you struggle, they struggled worse than you did. And we have to realize that God wants to help you with that struggle, especially with codependency. So the first trait you've got to know about a codependent person is this. A codependent person continues in cycles of bad relationships. Think about Samson, right? Went down to the bar in Timna looking for somebody. Let me tell you something. You're not going to find somebody at the bar, right? <laughs> I just I love, I can't meet any good men. Honey, just stop clubbing. They're not there to meet you and get married and have a family. They're there for a different reason. I'll preach on that later, right? <laughs> and, and so Samson ended up in cycles of bad relationships. And we do the same thing when we're codependent. We go, someone will leave an abuser and then get into a relationship with someone who abuses substances. And you're probably stepping back, looking, going, we can all see it. Like, like why can't you see that this person's not good for you? Here's just a, a word of advice. If your friends or your parents or people who are close to you are saying the person's not good for you, the person's not good for you. Because what happens is they all see it coming, right? And then when you get to that, you know, why didn't I see that coming? We all did. We tried to help you. But that's what codependent people did. They, they're just in bad relationships all the time. And usually, sadly, guys, it's abusive. And they're wondering, again, why, God, why are you doing this? God, God, God's not doing this to you. It's you having to make some bad, making bad decisions and changing your decisions. The second uh, trait, I would say a codependent person pleases others while they're internally miserable. They're internally miserable. We know Samson was that way. Well, how do you know he was that way? Because dude just went off the rails. Again, eating dead animals on the side of the road. Like, again, marrying Delilah of the Philistines who would destroy. He just did, he made really bad decisions. And he was pleasing people his whole life, and finally he snapped. And he said, I'm done with it. Friends, I, I have a pastor friend that you don't know. He grew a church from like 30 people to 1,000 in three years. It was amazing. They were taking over the city. It was amazing what God was doing. And literally, the guy was called in multiple affairs, and he snapped snapped. He's still out there just on cloud nine picking daisies. Snapped because he lived to please people in his church over and over. And it, it hurt him. He, he was pleasing others while he was internally missing. And that's what a codependent person, they don't have their own identity. And eventually it catches up. They say, why am I doing this? 
I'm not happy. And so what happens, write down trait number three is this, a codependent person, they engage, uh, engages in self-destructive behaviors. Engages in self-destructive behaviors. So once they get miserable and they're upset, they do what Samson did, and they go off the deep ends. As, as one guy said, they go off, the trails and, uh, uh, go off the rails on the crazy train. <laughs> you, you may know who that is. I'm going to mention them in church. It may make some of you mad. But that's what happens to people who are in codependent relationships, who please people, and they find their identity in people. They eventually just continue. You're wondering, why are you doing that to yourself? Why are you inflicting this pain, uh, pain to yourself? Because they struggle with codependency, and they have, they have no idea that's the only way that they know to fix it. So I want to help you with that, guys. Because some of you today are saying, hey, look, this may be me. Some of you inside say, you know, I'm just not really happy. And my whole life and my whole identity has been wrapped up in other people. My whole, my whole life has been this way. And my fear is this. I want you to write this down because this is so important. If we don't break the cycle, we will continue to need people who are in need of us. This is the part about codependent people. Codependent people who are just on that level 10 codependency, they need needy people. They thrive off needy people. They live in drama all the time, and they love it. They need people who need them. Matter of fact, that's what happens with parents. Uh, parents will sometimes keep their children needy so they can need them because they're codependent. A lot of times with a parent, you've got to watch this even yourself. When the child gets out of a little cute, little squishy, you know, little baby fat, tie, oh, just so cute, they all need you all the time. And then they get to a point, they start arguing with you, and then they get independent, and then they get belligerent when they're teenagers, right? They don't need you anymore, and parents disconnect. Or they'll try to keep the kid needy so they can continue the codependent relationship. That happens in parenting. That happens with a spouse. They'll find somebody who is needy, who is just struggling all the time. They're always on the struggle bus their whole life. And for some reason, this person will go to the struggle bus, bus stop to find their spouse. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to an addiction meeting to find the person of my dreams. But this happens because that is what a needy, uh, a codependent person does. They need those people in their life. And here's the thing that I realized about me early on in ministry. I was codependent. When I first became a pastor, for me, man, I was on staff. I was like the right-hand man to our pastor. I was in North Carolina, and I'm telling you, I was like, under my shirt was a big P, like Superman, Pastor Man. So it was like, any time of the day, any time of the night, you call and I'll be there. You have a marriage problem? I'll come in. Psychological issues? I can fix that. Wait, 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 there's more. Problem with parenting? I've never parented before, but I can help you with that too, because I'm Pastor Man. And I was working seven days a week, nonstop, call, get, called all, on call all the time, and I got to the point, I began to really hate ministry and hate people. I was like, I love ministry if it wasn't for people. <laughs> because I needed people to need me. And that's good for a season, but eventually, it's like Samson, and maybe just like you, it catches up with you. And I realized about three years into Thrive Church, here's what I realized. I was the biggest problem for people. I was their biggest problem. I was trying I cared more about their marriage than they cared about it. I would meet with a couple, and I'd try to do marriage counseling. Number one, I'm not a licensed therapist. Y'all, it's like asking me to change the transmission in your car. <laughs> I may do more harm than good, right? 
I can watch a YouTube video and try to figure it out, but uh, like, like, like I, have a, I have a degree in Greek. Like that's, I, I can break down the Greek for you. I don't know about psychological issues, right? Stages of grief, I don't really know them. Get you in trouble. But I was, I was pastor man. I'll fix it. Let's meet. I'll take care of that. And I would meet with people, and I'd, I'd get them together, and I'd like show them biblically what the Bible says about forgiveness and, and, and husbands and wives, and they're like, I don't care. I ain't talking to him. No, I ain't praying with him. That's okay. We'll meet next week. And on next week's edition of Pastor Man, I'll fix this. You just show back up. And it never worked. Matter of fact, they would end up leaving the church and get divorced. Like, I just don't, I was not good at it. But I needed people who needed me. So I'd find people who, people who struggle with addiction. I never struggled with addiction. I mean, for two years, I was, you know, was kind of crazy in my teens. But hey, you know what? Pastor Man can. Anytime you need it, I'll come to your rescue. And here's what I realized about me, guys. A couple of things came to the forefront as I began to reflect. I realized that, number one, I was hurting them, not helping them. And number two, I was hurting me because I was burned completely out emotionally of trying to rescue people who didn't want to be rescued. I'm like, I'm like dropping the rope down. Come on, let's go. They're like, no. It's like, come on, I'll stay here forever till you get on. They're like, no, leave me. Let me die here. No, you'll never. I'll, I'll go down and I'll die myself. I mean, that's just what I was. And I, I had to make changes. And here's what I realized. If somebody wants professional help, Thrive Church will pay for counseling for you. And we still will. Amen. If you say, man, I want to dig down to why I'm so angry, why I'm so full of anxiety or depression, we're going to get professional help for you. And the thing is, I don't know your, your secrets. I don't know what you're going through. I can just pray for you as your pastor. We don't need to divulge stuff to you at all. And so we can do that for marriage counseling. We will get professional marriage counseling for you with professional people who can help you. Amen? Because pastor man can tell you what the Greek says about submission in the Ephesians, what it really means, like submit one to another, but I don't, I don't really know all that psychological stuff. And I realized that I had to change the way I did ministry. I need to stop being codependent. I need to stop needing people who just needed me all the time. And I made that change. And I made a change in my life that began to help me as well. And if you have your notes handy, write this down, because here's what I had to stop doing, and here's what you're going to have to stop doing if you're codependent. Stop trying to be the Savior. There's only one person named Jesus Christ, and guess what? It's not on, it's not on your driver's license. <laughs> one person. And many times we're trying to be the Savior, and we're killing ourselves. You know when you get on the airplane, you know what they tell you when you get on the airplane, right? Like in case the, the levels, the pressure, uh, cabin pressure goes down, in case this happens, what do they tell you? An airbag will drop down from the top, and you know what I'm going to say next. Like you finished it already. Put your mask on first before trying to help someone around you. Now we're like, duh, but we get in life and we're just trying to put masks on everybody else. We're like, I can't breathe. And we're passing out trying to get their mask on, and they're passing out, nothing's working. Because we haven't learned that we need to stop trying. We need to take care of ourselves first sometimes. And as a codependent, you need to learn self-care. There's a leadership principle I share with our staff all the time because I believe that, that leaders have to feed themselves. It's the story of the proverbial starving baker. Now, just imagine with me for a second that in Richmond, there's this brand new pastry place that pops up because Richmond's got the best food. I'm telling you, I travel around. I love me some Richmond food. 
I do. And so imagine a new place opens up, donuts, pastries. I mean, it's just wonderful, fresh baked bread. Are you hungry yet? Because we got, we got food truck out back. You'll, again, you, I'm going to get you there. Y'all be lined up out there waiting for hours to get this. You're so hungry. So, so you're in line. You and your best friend go. You're, you're, you're in there, and you can smell it. You catch a weird, you're like, oh, I've been reading the reviews. It's so amazing. My friend had it. Oh, I brought some back to the office. I, I've got to have it. So you wait for an hour in line. Eventually, you get in, in the door, and you're looking. You're wondering, well, why is it? I mean, it's packed because it's good, but why is this line so long? And, and you're looking. You say, hey. That's the owner. That's cool. Look at him. He's checking people out. Like he's doing, he's getting the money and he's, oh, that's cool. Oh, and the owner bakes the bread too. That's neat. Like he's, he's also baking. Oh, that's cool. Wait a minute. He's, the owner's also wiping down the tables. And then your friend looks like, yeah, and it looks like that guy hasn't eaten in weeks. He looks emaciated. And then it hits you. The man who feeds everybody else never has stopped to feed himself. And that's what a codependent person does. They feed everybody else at the expense of themselves. And they're, all, they're the proverbial starving baker. And you can't make it in life doing that. And you have to learn to stop trying to be the Savior. And you need to let the Savior come and help you. See, well, what I love about the, the passage in Samson is as I was looking at this and studying this week, his parents weren't codependent. There are, I mean, again, some parents, rightfully right, right, so, love their kids, struggle with codependency. He went down to Timnah. And daddy, daddy wasn't like, I'm calling the pastor. We're going out to Tim to get that boy at the bar. <laughs> Show up at the bar. Boop, 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 snow, Samson. You're not going to, you know, no, no. You're not sleeping around at night, buddy. You got a call from God. Come on. No, he let him go. He probably had some side conversations as a dad. He let him marry Delilah. Go ahead. You got you to make your own decisions in life. They weren't the Savior. And you know what, like, what's funny? God didn't stop them. Like Paul, God knocked him off a horse in the New Testament, right? And the light shone around him and he spoke. No, God's like, hey, I'm not codependent. If you want this bad enough and you want to sacrifice your destiny and your legacy for this, you go for it. I'll pick up the pieces of the kingdom and we'll keep going. He wasn't codependent. And we can't be either stop trying. I don't know who I'm speaking to today. Maybe you're watching online, but you are trying to be the same. You want it more than somebody else wants it in their life. And you have to pray that God would change their wanter. We all have a wanter in here, things that we want and things that we desire. And you've got to pray for that. Stop trying to be the Savior. And that's what I had to do. I'm, I'm not your Savior. Jesus is, right? And so here's two thoughts that I, I, I want to leave you guys with that helped me out tremendously in breaking codependency. The first one is this. Allow them the opportunity to fail. That's what God did with Samson, right? Even his parents did will allow you the opportunity to fail. See, even in parenthood, we want to keep our kids from failures and bad, bad experiences because that's what Jesus would do. No, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus didn't do that, even with his own disciples. Like Jesus one time sent his disciples out to like go, go do ministry. He said, hey, go, go practice on people. <laughs> I love that, right? <laughs> and they find this little boy that possessed with a demon and they show up and they pray and nothing happens. And they pray again and nothing happens. They find they bring Jesus. Yeah, we, can't, we can't help this kid. He's like, oh, okay. You failed. I'll come in and do it. And he came in and he helped them. He got back and talked about why they failed. And he sent them back out again. He allowed them to fail. He allowed Judas to fail. He even told Peter. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me. 
You're going to have one of the worst regrets of your life, and I'm not going to stop it. But I'm going to pray that your faith won't fail you so after you fail, you can bounce back with resilience. And if you don't allow people the opportunity to fall flat on their face, they'll never have emotional resilience. Right now, we have a problem um, with, the, with the generation, the younger generation, that, and it's not their fault. It's not their fault at all. It's parents' fault. They have no emotional resilience. They've never had to face anything. Like, my son, I want him to face bullies. He needs it. He, he needs to have that and find out what to do. Like, I've been teaching them how to hit them exactly in the face. No, I'm joking. I didn't <laughs> no. But he needs to, he needs to like, 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 you know, I, I take him out and he plays basketball at, at these camps, and he needs to learn that little Johnny is a beast in basketball, and little, little Johnny will outdo you any day, bro. He's just better. Look, I'm going to play basketball. I'm not the best one out there. He's just better. He was at school the other day, and he comes back home. He says, man, we're trying to play baseball. And he will, he will not listen to me teach him about baseball. I try to teach him about first thing, but he won't listen to me. Like, he knows way more at six years old than he knows than the dad does. And he says, yeah, and then, and then this other guy said, what are you, stupid? I'm not going to awe. I'm like, well, why do you think he called you that? It's like, well, I didn't know the bases. It's like, he wasn't calling you stupid. He says, like, that's just common knowledge because he's a little older than you are. Oh, okay. I said, that wasn't the right way to say it to you, but hey. He's like, oh, okay, and he was cool with it. I need my son to face failure. See, what makes you you are the hardships you've, you've come through in life. A great marriage is not one that we never have any problems. It is one who we've talked about divorce several times, but Jesus has pulled us through it, and we've prayed through it, and we are stronger than we ever have been before. You've got to allow some people the opportunity to fail so they can actually learn. The second thing is this. I'll, I'll leave you this thought this morning. Let them be dependent on Christ, not on you. You have somebody in your life struggling with depression, and you're trying to make them happy. Number one, man, if you struggle with that, so many of us do. You're not alone. Depression, you, you think you're alone. Go get some professional help, man. It helps tremendously. It's helped me. I struggle with depression. Um, but my wife can't fix me. My wife can't do that. I've got to go to Christ, and I have got to hear from God and spend time with God. If she keeps propping me up, I'll never have the opportunity to know God in a way that I've never known Him before. And the same thing for you. Like, like you know, some people need to hit rock bottom so they actually meet the, the, the rock Jesus. Amen? You like that? At the bottom of the rock, there's the rock Jesus Christ. And they need to hit that. And maybe it's in that moment that their eyes open up and life changes. We keep putting the cushion down there to keep them from hitting the rock. Keep them from hitting the rock. See, Samson, think about him. He was humiliated in front of the Philistines, humiliated. Stripped down, his eyes were gouged out. He couldn't see a thing. He was a shell of himself. And I, I guarantee on that thing, he was just, he was so full of regret. But in that scripture, it says that his hair began to grow back again. That's the symbol of the covenant that he had with God. For some reason, it was just keep getting cut off. The covenant wasn't renewed. But Samson, at the end of his life, renewed his covenant with God. He got dependent upon God. And it says that his hair came back. He had strength one more time, and he pulled the pillar down on thousands of Philistines. 
because he went back into a relationship with his heavenly father. Some people in your life need that. And can I tell you, if you are a codependent person, you need that. You are finding your identity in your children. You're finding your identity in your spouse. You're finding your identity in everybody who needs you. And it's unhealthy. Do you know this? Like pastors' wives struggle the most with this because their identity is in who their husband is. First of all, my wife is not the first lady. The first lady is in the White House. Just so y'all know that, right? And here's what I set up. My wife is a physician assistant. I'm married to, uh, I'm married to a physician assistant. I'm a physician assistant's husband. She's not a pastor's wife. I'm going somewhere with this. Her identity is in Christ, first of all. And second of all, she has an identity beyond me in this church. Most pastor's wives, and I work with pastors all the time, when, the, when, when their kids get out of the house, they have no identity anymore because that's all they've been doing their whole life. And their identities, and their, and their husband never leaves ministry. They have no idea what to do. That's what they've been their whole life. And some of you in here, you don't have your own identity. You haven't rooted your identity in Christ. It's rooted in everybody else being happy around you. And I want that to break in you today. I want something to start in you that God begins to do a powerful work in your heart. So if you will this morning, let's pray together and ask God to do that. Father, we need your help this morning. Some of us in here, Lord, have had an epiphany about codependent issues. And we're miserable inside. We haven't, some people haven't even told anybody, God, that they're miserable. And that they just feel empty and drained trying to please everybody. Today, God, I pray that you would do some work in their heart. I pray this week that your Holy Spirit would speak to them, that through scriptures and through maybe messages they hear on the radio or online, that, God, you would speak to them about this, and you would help them with this. Help all of us on here, Lord God, who have this unhealthy need to please everyone, and help us, Lord God, to stop trying to be the Savior. We ask for your help in Jesus' name this morning. And for some of you in here today, you walked away from your faith. Maybe you got hurt by church or a bad version of Christianity. Maybe you're watching online today and you're giving church one last chance. Today is your day to come back to faith in Christ. You know it. You know it's been, it's been welling up in your heart and today is your day. Or maybe you've never given your life to Christ and fully surrendered. If that's you today, I want you to pray this, make this prayer, um, uh, make this confession of faith, uh, faith after me and pray this with me. You say, Father God, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I admit I need a Savior. Today, I believe that Jesus is Lord. Today, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, and I believe He rose again on the third day. Today, God, I give you my life. I repent of all of my previous sins. And I receive today full forgiveness of sins. Thank you, God. Thank you for making me part of your family. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.